0: Oh, it's recording. Okay. (laughs) Hey there, shop Show. Listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris
1: Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, good, 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 man. Relatively, anyway, you know, there's always something when you're old, it's like, It's just like one part of your body breaks, and then you just struggle to fix it. And right at the end of recovery, something else breaks. Yeah. That's the rule. It's the wheel of maladies. You just wake up
0: every morning, and you (laughs) you spin it, and you know, something
1: something hurts. I saw this meme of this woman kneeling, and she's like, woman's knee hurts for the rest of her life because she sat, kneeled awkwardly for two minutes. (laughs)
0: Basically I've been having, I think I'm allergic to like mold or sensitive to pressure, like in the atmosphere, you know, and man, I just, if it is going to rain in the forecast, like three days out, I have like migraines and, and it's the point like, I need to lay down and take a nappy nap, you know? And so it's just this, like, I'm like, now I'm, you know, you're just like, how do you fix like the sky? The sky is making me sick. How do I fix that, or what you know, and it's it's not easy, you know everything's like drink water, <laughs> okay, dude, yeah, I got water figured out, so anyway well if, i'll I'm sure i I'm fine, but it's just so so weird how even like your body changes over time you're it's decades I was fine, it could rain, and I would be fine, but now apparently the sky <laughs> hurts me, so. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yes, well, it does. Whatever. Everything hurts. That's why indoors. Uh, can I so <laughs> see outdoors? Should I change her? Yeah, people love outdoors. Topic. Yeah,
1: and indoors is good. So there you go. So I remember, always remember that, like, what was what hot American summer, and I was like Paul Rudd, or oh no, who was it? It was that nerd David from came in and he was trying to describe the kid he was looking for he's like no he's more of a small kind of a he's an indoor kid yeah he's an indoor Indoor kid kid. i should get an indoor kid t-shirt although i like the outside too i do (laughs) i do like outside it just hurts me that's all so (laughs) well we we mentioned um Astro last week, sorry if we took, I won't do that to you this week, but I did note that it's interesting how many styling options there are in it. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can just put a style tag in your component and it will scope it and, but if you want to style some other way, you can, they have a whole piece of docs on all the different styling options they support it's pretty sweet one of them you can just type you know lang equals scss on your style block and then just write in sass it just ships with it out of the block can you believe it 2021 everybody still likes sass there's a little conversation about it in the discord too literally everybody likes sass i've i've never i've never seen a dev ever that's just like sass sucked I like something else instead. I mean, some people like other things too, but nobody's like anti SAS. I've seen funny. a few, but I think they're just whatever, contrarian for headlines, you know? But yeah, you know. fair enough. Or like, I like writing vanilla CSS. Fair enough. That's totally fine. It doesn't make SAS suck, you know? Yeah. And moving away from SAS is fine, too, but it's interesting how it's be kind of become this expectation. You know, there's been all kinds of tools that if they if they ultimately allow you to write in the CSS syntax, they tend to jam SAS into it, too, because why not? You can run that processor, too. And in this world where we're just kind of daisy-chaining processors <laughs> together, yeah. that seems kind of fine. I wonder, though, is it a forever project? You know, I think we've probably talked about this before, but it's... It's curious how long it's held on and why. Some people are like, I just like concatenating my files together. Well, sure, fair enough. It happens to be a tool that does that. That's their big one. I know I like nesting media queries. That's a big one, but I like nesting kind of period, as long as you're careful with it. Some people are pretty hot on the idea of how they handle variables, because it's not just a, a variable, but it can be like a whole like object of variables, you know, mm-hmm. like a whole map. That's kind of cool. Everybody's got their things. So I was just curious, you know, like what is the, what will be the, the spear in SAS's heart or will there never be because SAS is still an active project and can evolve and solve new problems if we need it to.
0: Yeah. You know, my, the, what I reach for goes down every day. It feels like, you know, but like, like CSS custom properties, I actually maybe am getting to the point where I prefer them two SAS variables. Like I would actually rather be using those. Um, and I know people have the second you say that 400 people will show up at your door and say, Oh, but it doesn't work at IE and I can't use it, you know? And that's true. And I'm sorry that happened to you. (laughs) However, (laughs) in like a year or two, you'll be in a different boat, you know? Um, probably I hope
1: so. Yeah. But like, they are so good though, aren't they? They really do kind of, there's very little where I'm like, I wish I was using SAS here because they're just, they're twice as capable.
0: Yeah. Well, and I'm, so I'm authoring scope styles in Nuxt, like as a day job. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's, it's great. I love scope styles and it supports SAS. So I can do it just the smidgen nesting. And that makes my component like, cause I'm writing a exactly component oh, and I'm doing that. nesting. It's friggin' beautiful right up until I have to like go import assets, variables, you know, asset, you know, like I have to like go import the SAS file and the functions file and the everything Ew, file just to, just to write a variable, you know? So now I've got, so like, then you
1: have to teach your compiler how to do those imports. Is that, has yeah, that bothered
0: well,
1: you? SAS sort of figures it out.
0: Like, you know, it's not because variables in theory are just translucent. Like they don't output any style. Right. So like, like right. the, the component knows how to, the, the SAS processor at the component level knows how to do that. Um, if it was like something I needed, like the buttons styles or something like that, that might be
1: a little bit more. Um complex, but do you use, are you just, are you actually writing at import or are you writing at use?
0: I'm, I'm using at import, but at use would definitely be the cool thing, you know, because that at use is tries to create like a import export tree. That's tree shakable, right? That That's how I understand it. Right. Or I, yeah,
1: I think it's like just better. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I should probably I can't.
0: use it, but you know, I'm old, so it's hard to learn new things or that's not what I immediately go for. So uh, but the the moment I have to use a SAS variable in my view template, you know, I, I that's where it feels like kludgy. And so that's where I'm like, oh, man, if I just had stinking, whatchamacallit, yeah. if I just had variables or, you know, that encourages me to actually go and spit out custom CSS variables as well as my SAS variable.
1: That's where we're at. We just do them both when they're named exactly the same. Other than obviously the dash dash versus dollar sign. We just have two sets and you can use either one that you want. We're in a weird state where it's kind of 50-50 and I'm like, hmm, I wonder if at some point we should go clean that up or whatever. At the moment, it's not bothering me that much. But there are moments where as we write in, you're in Nuxt, you know, I mostly write in React. There's a way to set it. Like if you're in JSX and you don't feel like making a class name and writing CSS for a thing that you can just do style equals bracket bracket and just blast some inline styles on things, which really doesn't bother me that much when it's just a quick little one-off kind of thing. I just It just is fine. But if it's a color that you're happening to set or a background or a border, guess what? You can do it now because you have those variables available. You don't have your SAS variables there, but you do have custom properties there.
0: If for some weird reason, your component needs a black border instead of a... CCC border, you know, it's immediately better. You know what I mean? It's just, you just say all the borders in here are, it's great. You know, Oh, 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 instead of CCC. So that's, Powerful. They were confusing when they came out, but now that it's there, it's like this is great. This is wonderful.
1: Yeah, they've so. settled in. There was a couple of things that people tried to find that were like, what's better about SAS variables? And there's like math is maybe a little easier because you don't have to calc wrap them. And it's like a little more forgiving in SAS, what you can multiply and stuff, but it's like not enough. It's not compelling enough just to use it just for that. There's always some other way you can do it. Mm-hmm. So that's that. Well, I was thinking of nesting as a big one, though. That's why I would, if I was in something that I didn't need to bother about concatenating files, because, like, I'm writing in some component language anyway, and that's just not a thing I need to worry about or do, then what I want is the nesting. And that's the thing that feels like it's going to die at some point because we'll get native nesting. And once we have native nesting, which is in zero browsers, you know, but there is a pretty advanced spec on it and interest in getting it going. It's not so bad. I remember the very, very early days when it was talked about, there was like, you'd have to like prefix every nested thing with some big at nest rule. And it just looked way kludgier than SAS. And I think the gut reaction was, or less, or stylus, or anything. They all are. They all do nesting. As far as I know, exactly the same. Mm-hmm. They, it just looks good. It just looks intuitive and simple. And there's no extra syntax you need. Native nesting has evolved to that pretty much. I think you still need to use like an ampersand situation at the front, but it's one character and it's really explicit. And then you can even move the ampersand around a little bit. And if you want to do something really weird, like put the ampersand in between two other selectors, which is some niche stuff, you still can. But then you use the at nest rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the Adam Argyle episode or whatever. But now yeah. that I look at the spec, I'm like, dude, when this drops, it's going to be rough for SAS because I'll use it less in something like a view component or a astro component or something because I don't need I'll, I'd rather just use native know yeah
0: no one less thing right and then one last thing you just kind of assume maybe some post css process is going to come through and nudge it a bit to make it a little bit more accessible you know or or for other browsers so we'll see hey
1: This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by CMS Hub, by HubSpot. Maybe you know HubSpot as a CRM. It is that. It has a bunch of different hubs, you know, hence HubSpot. (laughs) Uh, there's like a marketing hub, meaning lead generation and automated marketing type stuff. A sales hub, which is the CRM, which can, does stuff like schedules meetings with your leads and provides quotes and stuff. They have other hubs, but CMS hub is what we're talking about. It's you know a content management software that's super flexible. You can build whatever you want on it. In fact, you know it's like any other CMS. You work locally. Uh, using whatever tools you want and then deploy to HubSpot. So it's your host and it's like a framework for content. What's cool is that the CMS part of it is tied to the CRM parts of it, meaning that you can build a website that, you know, people log into and use in that way. But then you are also customizing it because you know who they are and the fact that they're a lead and you know some information about them, you can customize the website around that. Uh, That's pretty darn cool. Like, This is an interesting example. I think they have like a real estate site where you do normally you think of a CRM as people in the CRM. But in this case, there's properties are the things in the CRM. So like 123 Elm Street or whatever. That way, the website powered by CMS Hub is grabbing that CRM data and making like a website of real estate listings, you know. But the real estate listings are in the CRM. So they're like you're like gathering leads on it like julie wants to go see the property at 123 elm street you know that i think that's uh, just a really cool and interesting idea it's loaded with other built-in features like this is pretty advanced style hosting they have serverless functions for example which is a pretty modern cool idea that i use all the time Uh, as membership management in there again these are websites you log into you know not just like brochure sites or whatever There's search built in, for example. You don't have to reach for some third-party search. They've got search handled for you with it. Uh, That's all I'll tell you for now. That's CMS Hub by HubSpot. Thanks for the support. Here's a topic for you. I I had um, Una and Andy Bell on Mm -hmm. from... Uno's at Google, you know. Yeah. Does a podcast with Adam the the learn or the what do they just call it the CSS podcast? The I CSS guess. Podcast. So yes. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. And it, it, but it's very like educational. Not that this show isn't. You should be learning a lot from Chop Talk. Very much. <laughs> um, Wait, what do you mean? No, theirs is just like we're going to talk about the box model. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very topic centric. Yeah, they <laughs> then you know pitched to google like let's make a course essentially like a learn a css learning thing that they launched i don't know it was a couple weeks ago now Mm -hmm. learn css i'm sure if you google it you'll land right there um and it has these like 23 modules of learning 22 i guess if you chop off the front and bottom intro and conclusion mm-hmm. that cover all kinds of stuff about CSS. Pretty much all of CSS with a very modern appeal to it. Not like, here's a bunch of old stuff and we'll slap the new stuff on the end kind of thing. It's all very like, this is where CSS is right now. Super well done. Love it. They hilariously just forgot to do transitions. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> just wow. not, not one of them on there. They're gonna like add it, I think, you know, but it's just kind of one of those <laughs> funny things that like, even these great projects sometimes, just like do Oops, weird things forgot it but it yeah. made me think about what of all of all either of the two that should be on a course like this not this is not criticism i don't really care but but it made me think so animations made the cut and and transitions didn't not that they weighed them up and made the choice that way but i'm like i just i occasionally write a keyframe and i occasionally do it almost for trickery sometimes because i need it to like apply it just i just it's something that a Transition can't do, but ninety four percent of the time in my CSS, it's a transition. And when I say CSS animation, I sometimes basically just mean a transition because it's just it's movement, and the word animation evokes movement. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant, even though I said the word animation. You know, right, right. Anyway, my point is: is that true for you too? Do you write mostly transitions, or or am I weird? No, that's a good question. I I think like I do,
0: or I try to write transitions, um, just because they're like cheap, you know. Like uh, if if you want like a, uh, I don't know the thing. My new thing is like when you click a button, maybe it grows a bit, like pew, like a pop, you know, like sure. a, like yeah. a juicy button, we'll call them. Uh, <laughs> juiciness—that's what it's called in video game land. Like where you just kind of like screen shake and do all this stuff. Yeah, it's called juiciness. And so, oh, I love um, it. So just try to make them juicy, right? Uh, and the like, you know, so you can do like a transition, you know, active scale one point two or something like that, you know, or or like you set the scale like transform scale one point two transition scale. 0.2 seconds or something like that, you know, just for yeah, a, yeah. like, I, I love that the place where I use train or animations is when something I want it to do something when it shows up on the page or like I toggle a class yeah, or something. That
1: one. Isn't it weird that we have to reach for a keyframe just for that? I, that's, that's it weird.
0: is. Cause it's a little bit like I'd rather like some on show property. Cause I'm usually going from a zero or to a zero or something, you know, like, um, uh, usually yeah you're just you're trying to like i I want to transition to the state but the only way to do that is to animate from nothing you know or animate you do the modal and you want to like fly up just a bit float up and and become uh
1: opacity one you just want to all that slide in slide out all that type of spirit is all keyframe based yeah it's like, when you show up in the DOM, please do this animation. And there is no CSS transition that can do that. Because mm-hmm. what you'd have to do, well, I guess there kind of is, what you'd have to do is put it in the DOM, then do like a really quick set timeout to add a class, and the class would do this timeout or, you know, whatever. but I'm like, that's so kludgy that I'd rather, if I'm just handling it in CSS, do it with a keyframe, with like kind of a forwards end state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. You know, it's funny too, like uh,
0: Nuxt has transitions and like Sarah Drasner's has written about like transition stuff on, on, or like animating whole from view to view. And it's definitely like an animation from view to view, but in Nuxt it's called a transition. So
1: anyway. Oh, it's like the opposite. Yeah, oh, it's the opposite.
0: But even though you're like animating this whole, like like a circus of elements going in and out, you know, so... Um, right, but it's cool.
1: So. That's cool, and it, it, but it assumes it's kind of a single page app type of atmosphere, right? So it it's already on the page and needs to go to somewhere else already on the page, which in my mind always is flip territory, right? Like, right, yeah. Um, position it where it's going to be, and then use transforms to put it where it currently is, and then untransform it. Such a clever idea but it makes everything all juicy. <laughs> makes Smooth it Smooth juice, though. Smooth no juice. No pulp.
0: Because you have evaluated the end already, the end state. So, yeah. Indeed. that's That's the trick with all this stuff is, you know, and responsive messes it all up, too, because you don't know the height of something. If we just knew the height of things, we'd be super awesome at animating everything. So we just never know the height because the text could grow or somebody I could, know you know, why? like, yeah,
1: that's, it's that's not crazy. that sad, but it does seem like the answer to doing this in JavaScript is not that hard. First, you measure it, put the height on it at mm-hmm. the height it currently is, and then you can animate it because it has a height on it now that you just measured. It's just yeah. an additional line. So like liner. that seems like CSS could help us out there. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're asking so much here, you know? So animations to and from auto seem plausible. I hope we get
0: that. That would be, I know it's complex, but it's also like, you know, I, I just feel like there's a way to do it like a pass, like a layout pass that just reports data or something. I don't know, but uh, for a component or something,
1: I don't know. It'd be, I would just, I just, I just don't even want to think about it. I just want to be able to say, oh, transition the height to zero, even though it doesn't have one now and it just works. Uh, Like that's what I would imagine would work. you know, maybe it's something like container queries where like, oh, well, if you want that to work, it has to have contain style on it or something. Okay, fine. That would be great. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, what got me just yesterday is uh, I wanted to animate some tables so imagine this is kind of a classic is one of these animations where you're not adding it for juiciness i'm not trying to sell extra copies of my video game because of how amazing it feels i, I have a, ta- a very boring table that's just like top to bottom you know row 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 row, row, row. but there's action buttons on them and they do mm. things and one of the things is kick that thing off the list And when you do that, if you don't have any animation at all, it just instantly disappears. And it can be a little like, you know, you blink and you're like, wow, that was weird. Like, did it work? Did it not work? You know, I feel like it's a big improvement to UX if there's a little bit of action there. And in the past, we'd go, you know, Ajax, you know. (laughs) To the URL slash item slash delete, and then on the callback, you'd go l dot slide up or whatever in your jQuery, and it was just a yeah. couple of lines, and it felt yeah. really, really good and easy. And then now in this, you know, world of more, you know, component-driven JavaScript frameworks and stuff, it's harder than that because you can't. There is no slide up anymore. It's got. It needs to get gone from the DOM, and as mm-hmm. soon as it's gone from the DOM, you there's no. The way to animate it, you know, you just it's unanimatable, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you need like you need, you need to draw, do a little extra hoopty doopties to to get that working. Uh, and we did it and it was fine, but then the it, you know, it's one thing to just like animate the um, the opacity to zero or animate the translate X to a thousand pixels or something, so it looks like this table row is fushing off the side of it. But in a table, I think the most satisfying animation is something like a slide up where the table row looks like it's collapsing. Because the point of that is that the rest of the table rows slide up into place. Mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. feels good because, you know, you, you, you mentally understand like that one's going away and this new one, like maybe your mouse cursor is now hovering over a button again, but it's a different button. It's not the same one you were just hovering over. Mm hmm. That kind of important stuff. Guess what you can't animate the height on, even if you set a height, a table, anything. Oh, really? Tables just don't accept height changes. You could t- take a TR and say height zero, and it's going to be like, no. It just doesn't <laughs> it just, do we'll it? will ignore you. No. Wow. That's not, yeah, that's not a thing that you can touch.
0: Tables, tables are a cop. Jeez,
1: (laughs) I know, super narcs on their stuff. So the trick is, do you temporarily like force it to be display block or something, but then what do you write a bunch of CSS to make sure that the layout is exactly the same, whether it's a block or a row? And if that's the case, why didn't you just do that to begin with, you know? So the whole thing is display block. And then it's like, why'd you use a table at all? Because you're just smashing the tableness out of it. It's like, I don't know what to do there. There is some trickery like use a scale x animation and then use an additional scale on every single table row after it to pull it up Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. but you're like you often don't have access you kind of want to isolate animation type of stuff to the thing that you're animating yeah yeah. let everything else flow along with it just there i don't think there was a great answer for it we ended up uh i ended up display blocking the damn thing and just not using those tables Yeah. It was an admin tool, so my like desire for perfect semantics was lower. You know?
0: Yeah, that's sort of the admin tool vibes. Just <laughs> I had a so I had a situation. Um is this fun to talk about these? We yeah, let's talk about it. so I was yeah. doing a thing, I was, it's a horizontal scroller of like little cardies, you know. And I was using scroll snap points. Awesome, right? Like yeah, this is awesome. I agree. And um Uh, And like, cause you just slide a bit and it goes, like snaps into the point. And this was like, honestly, the first time I've successfully done scroll snap points. I've tried them so many times. It just like had a bad time. And I finally, it was like, Hey, I think I got it. Cause you have to put like scroll snap. uh, X mandatory mandatory on the parent. And then you like scroll snap like area or something. Start on, on the like, or point on the child, right? So you have, yeah, yeah, it's a parent child party. It's a parent child party. And so uh, I finally got that going and then the request came in, you know, like it would be cool to like fast forward the list to like your uh, next uncompleted item or whatever. Like think of like YouTube videos or something like that. You're going, you want to like scroll the horizontal list to the like next thing. And I was like, yeah, dude, cool. Easy. Let's do it. Like code up a scroller. And then like the problem I had was like with the like, component architecture it's sort of similar to this like display none animation thing it was like oh I can't like animate it to it because it doesn't exist like it doesn't exist yet in the DOM you know like like because it's like a JS component it has to go like fetch the data and then populate the data render the data and then it can like begin to do these uh, the scroll operation so I had to use like the next tick function in in uh, view, but, um, or Nuxt specifically, but like uh, that was interesting too. Just like sometimes it's not even just like display none and show animations are tough, but even like display, like the thing isn't there yet. And so you have to like wait until do a request animation frame thing to like then go do the thing. Like, That's that's hard. You don't understand that stuff until you're like in it and in the code. And,
1: um, yes, that's what I want out of technical articles, by the way. That's why I lately, I've just been saying no to like 75% of everything that comes in because it's like, can I do a really super high level thing on the basics of this thing? And I'm like, no. (laughs) <laughs> I, like, I, uh, you know, sometimes that's interesting, but sometimes it's just better served by documentation where that's the thing. What I want to know is, did you do it? Did you, were you Dave Rupert on some cards with scroll snap points with some deep in the weeds stuff happening? Tell me about that, mm-hmm. you know, because then you're covering what it does it's showing off the feature, but it's also showing like reality and the rough edges and the lived experience of what it's like to do with the tool. Like that's what technical writing should be. I had another one of those, you know, those progress
0: meters that go in a circle, you know, and like I've written a blog post on like these arc progress meters before. And then one of the key framers was like, oh, there's an easier way to do this. Like, cause stroke dash array can be like zero or one and it'll just like figure out how far it needs to go. You don't have to like measure the whole path length and stuff like that. If it's going in a full circle and it was like, Oh damn, that's awesome. That saves me so much code. So I did that in a circle and then the next client's like, Oh, we want it in like an arc, you know? And Uh. I was like, Oh, Oh, hold on, hold on. I can just use this code. And then like I did it and then it was like, Oh, it doesn't work. Or like what, it mostly works. I had to like Chuck the stroke dash array to 0.875 or something like that, but whatever, I got it working. Like the arc was correct and I rotated it a bit. Uh, but if you do like, n- like negative numbers or something like that, or like if you just say like zero of eight complete, it actually goes backwards. Like, <laughs> cause it like, like zero is a value in it. So it tries to fill in the arc area that I was trying to like eliminate. So it was a weird situation where like I, the chart is great, but until you have a value of zero. And so I just like did a like display none on the whole thing. If the value is zero, but it whatever, or the whole arc. But so I cheated it, but that was what it was in the design comp. So we're fine. But um, there was a couple other ways I could have cheated it, but it was just kind of like, Oh man, that's a bummer. <laughs> like I really, I was hoping it would uh, just be fine, but it—I couldn't render zero in this weird trick. So I couldn't represent zero without just nothing. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I think there's some like hidden irony to the idea that the people that come across the most of these interesting quirks and bugs and and whatever like have the most deep experience in the tech are also the people that are so busy doing that kind of work that they don't have time to prioritize writing about it. if you're really prioritizing writing, you're doing less work and you have less deep knowledge on the tech, you know, it's not a hundred percent, but there's some like baked in kind of sucky irony about that.
0: Uh, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm feeling that even like personal life, like, you know, there's like 20 blog posts I want to write, but I've written zero basically. I'm just too busy to, uh, in this stage of my life, I'm just like too busy to right. like write a blog post and that sucks, but you know, it's just what it is. I'm coping at night. I watch anime, you know, like I started
1: watching anime mm-hmm. and that's what I do. So there you go. Well, that has some positive vibe on your thing. You know, your in people's incentives are different. I mean, you and me's incentive for blogging couldn't be further apart. I mean, for me, it's I make career level cash off maintaining this blog. You know? Yeah. For me, I
0: get, a, you know, a few thousand hits the satisfaction. And then I just get an idea out of my brain. That's quite literally the goal, the, the end state for me. So, and it, you know, it has pluses and minuses because it, it, sometimes it like, I like put all this effort into a thought or whatever,
1: and then it's just like crickets, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. That happens. We got a question here from one Doug Ra who writes on about the topic of dark mode in email, you know, like HTML email. Is it really okay that email clients are manipulating authored content? you know? So, and his company's tackled the art of dealing with email in dark mode. Needless to say, that when dealing with email development, it's a huge headache. With email still not up to modern standards, adding dark mode support is indeed a monkey wrench. Calling it a support is a major stretch. I wouldn't consider adding a bunch of specific lines for vendor-specific hacks as the right kind of support. Anyway, I think he's not pleased with all this and goes on. But the, the point is that... Whether you like it or not, when you send an email and the client itself, like on your Android phone or iPhone or whatever, happens to at the OS level have dark mode turned on, your client, like Gmail or Outlook or whatever is on your phone, might jack dark mode onto your email. Like I've seen it. It happens to the CodePen emails. My phone's in dark mode and I open a transactional email from CodePen. It's dark. Dark background with light text. Whoa, okay. It it just jacks into the CSS or whatever and forces that to happen. Like the email client is saying, like I'm going to respect the OS level and do do some color flopping. And it's different than the web. Like the browsers don't do that yet. I don't think. Right. You have to write CSS that was that will honor the OS level setting. It will not just force a website into dark mode. Yet in browsers, I don't, Hopefully. I don't think. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. You know, and you can write, you know, there. I think there's, like, kind of some algorithmic stuff that happens, too, like, if there's some kind of, like, you know, Doug writes in this that it, you know, can turn some bright orange into a mustardy yellow just because it, like, decided to because that was a background or a border color color or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like
1: it's like for accessibility presumably it's trying to make sure that your colors are discernible still probably not honoring what it looks like but just (laughs) that it works. And I've seen that too. I've seen in our CodePen emails there's some pretty gnarly colors sometimes. For example we have some randomish colors in our CodePen challenges emails that go out every Monday Mm -hmm. that are like you know specific to the sponsor for example for the challenges that, that in dark mode just Looks super weird and so far I've just let it go I've just been like mm-hmm, whatever like you do you email client you know at least it's like usable but you know occasionally it starts to cross the boundary of like that actually looks horrible or is impacting the usability and it's definitely on my rainy day list to rein that in because I mm-hmm. think if I wrote some media queries to specifically support dark mode that it would allow those, that maybe its algorithms wouldn't kick in and it would just do what it says to do in the CSS of my email, not not its own thing. I don't know that to be true. I haven't really tried it yet. Doug seems to indicate that maybe it's a bit more complicated than that. But the, what do we think about the overall question? Like, is it okay that email clients are doing this? Um. So, um,
0: yeah, I think it is. Like, uh, I mean, it, it's sort of like users over authors, you know? Um,
1: yeah, I get like, that. It can like, be an accessibility and power usage thing too, right? I'm, I'm a user. I
0: wanted dark mode on here, so I'm going to use dark mode. So I I sort of expect my email client to adapt and figure it out, you know? Right. Um yeah oh it's interesting yeah some i'm i just switched to dark mode on my mac and checked apple mail and some messages do like the dropbox paper you know one ha- switches to dark and it looks a little weird because the logo is an svg with a black logo you know like black text oh so it's just um, gone it, yeah, it didn't just, know how
1: to it didn't know how to inverse the svg
0: yeah so it just kind of made it disappear oh now I clicked on it again and it's white. It must have heard me talking. Um, your computers oh are listening to you. I don't care what Reply all says. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was weird because it just like did both. But um, yeah, I, I, you know, it's maybe an issue. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I think we're just in a weird state. You know, if it's bad and then enough people complain about it, it'll just go away in the app. You know, they're going to be like, you know, we're going to not try to. It, like figure this out. Maybe we'll only do it for text emails. Um, it may be a situation where as an email writing company, sending company, you need to like dial back the, the styling that you're doing, you know, like maybe you need to kind of think about how does this look if it inverts entirely? Um, so that's something yeah, that's to-
1: kind of a good point rather than trying to do really fancy stuff and being mad when it doesn't look in dark mode, just like be less fancy.
0: Yeah, you, you might have to tell somebody no, you know, like at your company, which is a bummer. Um, you know, there is this other thing. I'm going to give go kind of wild. Um, Jim Nielsen over on the Jim Nielsen blog, um, he wrote a post about CSS system
1: colors. Are you familiar uh, I mean, with these? This is such an interesting post. I've been meaning to get a link post up about it, but I want to, like, learn about it more f- before I do because it's so... It's so interesting. It's like, it's like colors like Rebecca purple or, you know, light red or is that one of them? I don't even know. But they're named, right? They're like canvas color. You're like, yeah. whoa, what is that? So like
0: canvas would be like your body color and canvas text would be the color on the text. So white and black or in dark mode, black and white, right? Link right. text is blue. Visit text is purple. Active text is red. Button face is gray. Button
1: text is black. But notably, do they change with dark mode?
0: They do. So that's kind of like they change with dark mode. So like you're, and it's maybe a way, it's sort of like UI system fonts. These are like system colors, you know? Um, So, Mm. you know, so you have access to kind of five global variables (laughs) Uh, or no, let's see one, two, three, four, five, eight, eight, 10 global variables for colors that exist on the system. So I'm not saying this is foolproof or it's gonna work or the email clients are good, but this may be an approach you want to do. Like like we can do dark mode emails, but we're kind of limited to these colors because that's what that's what we can like guarantee updates and changes or or maybe or or just write
1: some CSS and and make your own colors, you know. Yeah, but I like the well, idea that likes like this is like system fonts. You know, use those, mm-hmm. and they're going to look really native. yeah Use these, and you have to write less code because they'll just work properly in light mode and dark mode. Yeah,
0: and so it's just this. Like, I I never considered this. So, like, it's just this is really kind of interesting to me. The, I think the issue with like. Emails in, in general, though, is they are inline styles or, or historically have been. Maybe it's kind of moving a bit farther out from that. But you can't do a media query like a dark prefers dark mode media query in, in inline there. styles. No, so you can't. But so you have to no. use CSS variables. And so now the, <laughs> what number of browsers support CSS variables? And maybe you can sneak one at the top of the document like a. you know, switch all the variables at the top of the document or the email. That's hard. I'm going to just say it probably doesn't work.
1: That's true. I mean, that is the clean way to do it, but like you can use a dark mode media query and not custom properties. I mean, you can just,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm just, I think like if you wanted to like respond to colors in, an inline style, that's maybe how you'd have to do it. But, oh, I see. But I'm just going to say, maybe this is the way to go. <laughs> like, maybe these system colors are kind of your jetpack to get out of all of your problems, you know? So,
1: I wonder, um, though, is there quirks with them too? Like, has anybody really dug super deep into this? Like, for example, visited text is purple, right? That classic purple look on the web when you click a link that you've already seen. Does that mean that you could say div background visited text and you'll get a purple background? Like, I think it does insinuate that, but like, really super for sure is there nothing there's no caveats to that using that purple mm, i just have a feeling there's some there's some traps here waiting to be found but i get it i, li- I like it and it's interesting that it's such a fundamental baked in part of css that like i have never heard about until jim's blog post
0: yeah like i i had the like i, I like winced my eyes you know i like rubbed my eyes in disbelief i was like this really is just sitting in there in the spec this is like <laughs> no like i just uh uh i yeah it was i was just like i, I was like i feel like gaslit or something because i've never heard of this but it apparently just is sitting there like just living and you know yeah. i don't know
1: I mean, I'm in a code pen right now just going body, background, visited text, and it's a big-ass purple background. I can go color button face. (laughs) Button face. (laughs) I feel like I'm being rude to the document somehow.
0: Yo, hey, button face. (laughs) Stop calling me that. Come on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, but it explains... Uh, I don't know. It explains how these things became purple. Are there system sizes?
1: Now that we know that we have system fonts and system colors, what other system things do we have? Ooh. Is there like system large for named sizes or something? Yeah. I don't don't know.
0: What other, yeah. What other uh, size, what other hidden variables are we sitting on? That's what I want to know. This is a conspiracy. We're unraveling the conspiracy of color module level four. So please explain this.
1: Oh, that's true. What's the, the this isn't new though, right? I, I, I had the, I had the feeling this is, this is old. I think Maybe this is know. all
0: ancient text. Yeah.
1: This is like oh, yeah. ancient stuff, but you know, uh, but the there's, best you know, example transparent. To me is transparent. Oh, transparent. We've had that forever. I think. Yeah.
0: Current color. You know, that's like a variable uh, in there.
1: So classic. Yeah. floating around. I always like that for for anchor links too. Jim has a good example of a a drop down menu where you know that you're actually you know positioning and coding from scratch. So you're very likely have to put and you know and strongly opaque um, background on it. That's a great use case for canvas color. You know, because you probably want it to match the background. It's just overlaps, so it has to be a solid color and using canvas color there probably feels very satisfying love it and then there's probably links in the drop down and those could use could inherit or use current color very fancy
0: i just what it's interesting it's sort of like system fonts you know it's like well i'm just giving up on font control <laughs> type control you know and this is going to be roboto on android and it's going to be san francisco on apple and whatever like Hopefully it looks great, right? And then this is sort of doing that with colors. Like I think he's showing Safari's system or Canvas color is one e one e one e, and Chrome's is one two one two one two. Or maybe it's Canvas text or something um, for the dark variant. But yeah, or or no, that would be the Canvas. But anyway, I just that's an interesting one there too because you're just kind of like. Like you just kind of have to let colors and type kind of do their thing. So yeah.
1: Oof. Different world. I'm looking for like system widths. <laughs> Is there yeah. like width equals, I don't know, half browser. <laughs> Probably not. There's width fit, fit content. L-
0: links to Tom Steiner's web.dev slash color dash scheme article. Um, he this is kind of a Chrome thing, but uh uh Thomas is saying like take a look at WebKit's UA style sheet. Like there's a, there's one in just a link to the yeah. like track dot webkit. And um there's just a lot of junk in here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh there's chemical. Oh, but they're QEMs. all like slash
1: apple slash
0: thing. Yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in here. It's it's really uh interesting what they oh provide they're using a lot of is selectors in their default style sheet there which
1: must be kind of new um a lot of webkits. yeah yeah there is so much it's like mostly proprietary this could be a talk
0: if somebody wants to give a talk just walk through walk us through default style sheets <laughs> that would be interesting and there's There's like if statements, you know, so it's obviously some kind of like pre-processed document too. So that's funny. So system UI, Apple system blue, WebKit control background. Yeah. Apple system is, uh, gets rowdy. So. Hey, God, this is learning. fascinating.
1: Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, this How
0: was that, that sorry, yeah, where are we? It's 2022. Uh that article was just that one was just like a shocker cuz I just didn't know it existed and I, I I've been working on the damn websites for 25 years or whatever. That one was a shocker. So, yeah. Hey, we got another uh, question. You got time for one more? Yep. Or you, you yeah, let's stop. do it. No, Patrick do a quick Bauer one. writes in. Hi, wavy hand. Uh, thanks for making great podcasts. Uh, I work as a UX engineer, uh, which I love here in London. I have a background both as a designer, but I uh, don't hear much about coded prototypes. Uh, a core part of my job from the engineering community. Uh, it would be great to hear about any lean ways of working tooling or thoughts in this space uh for working fast and furious to test ideas and find new solutions
1: thanks uh, it just feels like you're dave right aren't you're all about coded prototypes aren't you uh
0: yeah this is 100% my thing um uh, please come to my website um i have a bunch of blog posts i'd love to uh, actually publish about this um uh yeah uh Prototypes are a big deal, um, uh, and I, I think people need to do this more often as part of their culture. Just like, hey, you had an idea for a feature. I pitched a prototype to a client the other day. They were like, "Hey, we want to do a native app, but we're wondering if like a web app, like Ionic, or you know, something kind of built on Ionic, or or what's Ionic yeah. Capacitor, would kind of well, fit." I've never heard you of that. know. It's like Ionic's uh, phone gap, kind um, of, oh. like how they access native APIs, sort of, oh. you know? Yeah. So, like, okay. if you want the camera, you you get the camera from Android or whatever. Or, or
1: in Android, specifically, you get to, you go to their... Oh, God, it has the world's fanciest landing page.
0: Ooh. Yeah. So, it's there, like... Android has the thing intense is what it's called. So like you can have multiple cameras and then choose like whenever I want, I'm using a camera, please use this camera app, you know? So it's weird, but that's how Android works and they do it on a different, a lot of different levels. So anyway, that capacitor, I think negotiates that kind of stuff. Um, But you know, this client was kind of worried about the juiciness of the animations and, Mm -hmm. Um, this might be a blog post, but I just was like, here's like the area where web sites are, or web apps are better, or sorry, native apps are better than websites. It's usually around animations, right? Page transitions going from one page to another, like the slide drill down, um, scroll performance on a big giant list. Uh, that's getting better, you know, even just rendering and scroll performance is getting better. Um, but it's still kind of always better in native cause they just have more tools around it. And then like when you click a video and it zips to full screen, you know, like that's a kludgy experience on the web and it's really fluid mm-hmm. on native, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's all like animation based. That's like what makes native better. Um, but I was like, you know, we could prototype a few views with capacitor and with some kind of mobile framework just to vibe out. Like, is this good? Is this good enough? You know, like, and if yeah. it's not, we can pull the plug after we made three views. We, we're using the same API. We're just spitting out three views. Does it feel good? And if it doesn't, let's eject. We spent one week of our time, not 10 months spinning up a mobile project, you know, like, and, and I think they heard that and we're like, yeah, cool. Let's do that. But, you know, I, you know if, but if they're like we need the full native vibe that's cool too but you know that brings in the like who's going to work on it thing you know you need a swift developer you need a kotlin developer like like you don't just get native juiciness for free is kind of what i told them you know <laughs> like you don't get that for free you have to work at it uh but they're you know but but like we can prototype the web version the the like phone gap the wrapped app wrap or whatever version and get pretty far. And, you know, a lot of the apps we use on daily basis are just websites. I mean, Slack, discord, they're just websites,
1: you know? So indeed they are
0: Spotify. It's just websites. So
1: That is, isn't that interesting? The biggest apps, you know, even a lot of Apple stuff, it's just a website. VS code. That's why it's like, please let us in the app store. I don't want to have to wrap it in weird crap just let me let the website be there. yeah so I think like yeah that would be a big deal for code pen
0: probably <laughs> like a code edit code coding environment uh casual coding yeah, environment maybe.
1: I mean we'd have a lot of work to do to make it live up to people's expectations I think
0: and they take 30 percent of every sign up that would be a bummer. <laughs> I don't know. I might be okay with that. You might be okay with a, that. So truly paying the we, mafia for your
1: fricking users. Oh, well. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's it. I've never, I've literally never thought about like, if I could have a native app today for CodePen and put it in the store, would I be mad at that cut or not? I've literally haven't spent any time thinking about it. Part of me would be so excited about just having it available that I'd be cool with it but then then you're like really 30 30 percent yeah yeah it's
0: exciting yeah. until like the n- numbers come through oh but anyway I so uh, Patrick I there's um, somebody I'm gonna blow this one second I need <laughs> like uh, there's a prototyping dot news newsletter um. And I want to figure out who does that. Um yeah, that's it. Matthias Ott or Matthias yeah. uh Ott. Oh, uh, he has prototyping.news. It's monthly ish newsletter, um, with just some uh like interesting ideas around prototyping um at all levels, you know, whether that's like uh Envision or or code, you know, but definitely driving home the code side of things. Um uh and then Matthias has a I I wish I knew how to say your name. Uh I it's he's from Germany, so I'm trying to put a tiny bit of accent on it. Uh anyway, uh but he had a really good post about prototyping the other day on his blog that I uh I'm gonna uh blow it uh on where it is and then that design engineering book do you remember that uh from yeah Natalie. that was from Natalie and uh i want to say Adekunle uh wrote yeah. a chapter on in uh prototyping and it was uh really good so the people are talking about it it's just not a huge focus uh in like it's just not it's not a practice and a lot of companies don't want to pay for it you know what i mean they don't want to pay for somebody to sit around and do non-contributing work quote unquote but for me it's just like these things save so much money if you can like spin something up in a day tools like astro or eleventy that we're talking about like man if you could spin up like a little prototype in astro in one day Just like you did, Chris, with the like CSS tricks, ZZ. Like, yeah, you're cooking with grease. You're just like, you prototyped out this thing, and now you're, I think last week you're saying, like, oh, I could like kind of build a whole, uh, I could kind of build a headless WordPress with it. Like, you just, you tried it out, and now you're kind of like, ooh, that's an interesting feeling. So that's what prototypes are for. And it took a day. So there you go.
1: Yeah, just to be like not wrong about the book, it's Natalia, sorry, Natalia, Natalia Shelburne, Anna Dunkel, or Ada Kunle, sorry, and Kim Williams and Eddie Liu. They're all four of them contributed to the book, so.
0: Yeah, is that, it's that InVision, I, I've, or Digital Ocean, Envision. It is
1: an Envision book, and it's called the Design Engineering Handbook, which is probably good because design engineering and Google brings up a bunch of totally unrelated stuff so yeah yes. it's also free so that's a good price for that book no totally and and i would there's
0: like a whole chapter in in uh uh about prototyping and it's basically my whole ethos so it's really uh good so the chapter two it's not because it's not called prototyping but anyway i'll hit me up uh i'll find it but the design engineering process and this kind of just bridges that Design and engineering gap, you know, where like designs maybe get to come up with some ideas and need some rapid feedback on whether it's even possible. That's what this is for. So, if you work with two designers like I do, it's very valuable. So, indeed. All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Yeah, let's wrap it up. Thank you, listener, for downloading this and your podcast. Be sure to start favorite favorite up. Uh follow us on Twitter uh at Shop Talk Show. Join us in the Discord, patreon.com slash shoptalkshow. Uh it's fun. And uh, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? <gasps> Shoptalkshow.com.